they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome to Bible with the Barbers. Sorry I missed you all last week. Um, please keep Terry in prayer. He is getting better. It's a slow process, but we're hoping that <laughs> he's going to be able to um, be back in the saddle by the end of the week. Um, so thank you for your prayers and, and for your prayers for me. I'm doing a little better. So here we are, and thanks be to God. We're grateful to be able to do this. So today we're going to look at Bible with the Barbers. And as usual, we like to start with the readings for the day. Now, this is Lent. So every day we have special readings that are specifically for Lent to bring us to the attitude of repentance and to, to recognize and to realize everything depends on the Lord. Everything is a gift from the Lord. Grace is a gift. Our faith is a gift. It's all a gift. <laughs> so um, it's not like we Catholics think that we earned our salvation. We know that Jesus Christ earned it. But we also know that he does attach merit to our salvation um, and to the works that we do, excuse me, to the works that we do, because St. Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have won the race, I have kept the faith. From now on, a merited crown awaits me. Now, that merit doesn't come from me. The merit comes from Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, Jesus Christ doesn't mind sharing his merit with us. So it's a great grace. Usually we just do the gospel, but the first reading today for the Mass of today, that is the, the Mass of the third week of Lent, Tuesday, is from the book of Daniel. And I, I think it's a beautiful example of how we should approach God, especially in times of trial. The background of this story, of course, is that um, you know the, the, the northern tribes of Israel have already been in exile for a while, and finally Judah, because her kings keep leading her in apostasy and, and, and away from God, are taken into exile. The southern tribes, the two southern tribes are taken into exile. Now, there were people in Judah who didn't apostatize. They never left the Lord. And so when they get to um, the, the Babylon, there are certain men uh, of noble birth that the king wants to serve them to serve in his court. They're educated. They're um, good men, and they're good-looking young men. Among them are Daniel, Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, at one point, the king makes a statue, and he's telling all his nobles and everybody, I'm, I'm the god, so everybody has to worship this statue, which is an image of the king, and bow down before it. Now, the nobles have done this deliberately because they know that Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael are still faithful to the God of Israel, and they want to catch them and have them destroyed. And so they say, well, no, we're not going to worship the statue. And the king says, who do you think your God is that he can say, look, everybody in the whole world is subjected to me. Who do you think your God is? And he said, you know what, king? Ananias, Ezra, and Mishael said to the king, if God wants to save us from you, he can. If he chooses not to, that's fine. That's up to him. That's his choice. But we're not going to serve any other God, even if it means we're going to have to die. We're not going to serve another God. So the king is furious, and so he, he has this furnace, and he has it heated seven times normal, hotter than normal. This is in Daniel 3, and you can read about it in the third chapter of the book of Daniel. And he throws these three young men into the furnace. Well, what's interesting is he heated the furnace so hot that the men who are throwing in the fuel to heat the furnace are burned, and some of them die. 
So while they're in the furnace, what are they saying? Lord, why are you punishing us like this? Why have you abandoned us? Why aren't you, you know, having pity on us? Why do you let our enemies have this power over us? Why don't you just destroy them all and wipe them off the face of the earth? Well, actually, no, that's not the attitude they have. Azariah stands up in the furnace and he says, For your name's sake, O Lord, do not deliver us up forever or make void your covenant with us. So for the sake of your name, he's appealing to the Lord for the sake of his name. Do not take away your mercy from us for the sake of Abraham, your beloved, Isaac, your servant, and Jacob, your holy one. To whom, or Israel, your holy one, to whom you promise to multiply their offspring like the stars of heaven or the sand of the sea, shore of the sea. They're calling on the promises that God has made. For we are reduced, our Lord, beyond any other nation, brought low in the world this day because of our sins. We have in our day no prince, no prophet or leader, no burnt offering, sacrifice, oblation, or incense, no place to offer first fruits to find favor with you. Remember, Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. They don't have a place anymore to offer sacrifice. This is Old Testament. But nonetheless, what are they saying? It's because of our sins. Now, these are three young men who didn't apostatize and didn't participate in the idolatry of their people. And yet they're not separating themselves from their people. They're not saying, oh, well, we were innocent, Lord. It was okay you punished everybody else, but why are you punishing us? We were doing everything right. No, they identify themselves with their people, even though they didn't participate in the sin of their people. But with contrite heart and humble spirit, let us be received as though it were burnt offerings of rams and bullocks or thousands of fat lambs. So let our sacrifice be in your presence today as we follow you unreservedly. For those who trust in you cannot be put to shame. Now, these three young men are in a furnace. They have been put in the furnace to die by fire. (laughs) And now we follow you with our whole heart. We fear you and we pray to you. Do not let us be put to shame, but deal with us in your kindness and great mercy. Deliver us by your wonders and bring glory to your name, O Lord. Now, this prayer goes on. It's Daniel 3, and you can look, Daniel 3, 25 and following. And just the beauty of this prayer and the repentance and not blaming others, not saying, oh, everybody else has sinned, but we're innocent, but identifying themselves with the corruption that had taken place in their, within their people and within their land. And again, it, Daniel 9 has a similar prayer where Daniel prays a prayer to the Lord for forgiveness and mercy for himself and his people. Even though these men have been faithful, they identify themselves with the sinful part of their nation. We're all in this together. None of us is exempt. We're all sinners. If God were to come and wipe out all the bad guys, guess what? There'd be nobody left. God doesn't wish the death of the sinner. He wishes that all men turn to him and repent. So that's what we pray for. And so I think it's a beautiful prayer and a beautiful example of how we should come before the Lord in prayer, not declaring our righteousness, but acknowledging we are all sinners. And any repentance that we have is a gift from God, that everything we have is a gift from God, our faith, hope, and charity, our very life, every breath that we breathe, every beat of our heart, It's all a gift from God. All the good that we have, any good thoughts, any good desires, these are all gifts from God. And so we turn to the Lord with repentance. And what do we have in the Gospel of Matthew? Well, we have this incident where Peter says to the Lord, 
how often must I forgive my brother? Oh, seven times? I mean, he thinks he's being really generous. And the Lord says, no, 70 times, seven times. That's, that's, that doesn't mean, oh, you know, 749 times, 490 times. No, it means every time. Every time your brother does something against you, you need to forgive him. And why? He tells the story of a man who owes a king a huge amount of money. Now, Matthew doesn't give us the exact amount of money, which is interesting because Matthew was the tax collector. But he owes him a huge amount, and he can't pay it. So his master is going to sell him and his wife and his children and all his property to pay the debt. And the man pleads with the master, and the master says, okay, I forgive the debt. Now, the man goes out, and um, he tells he, he, he finds another servant who owes him a pittance. He doesn't owe him anywhere near as much as, um, as was owed to him by this first servant, was owed the master. And the, the ser- this fellow servant pleads with the servant who's just been forgiven and says, please be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Now, it, it, in comparison, it was like the first servant owed his master over a year's worth of wages, whereas the second servant owed his, his fellow servant a day's wages. But the the fellow servant who's just been forgiven refuses to forgive. And he throws his fellow servant in prison and says, not going to forgive you. You have to pay me back everything. Well, his other servants see this and they're worried. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. Is this guy going to come after us too? Maybe they're indebted to him. And they go to the master and they complain. And the master calls him in and he says, I forgave you your debt when you pleaded with me. Should you not have been merciful with your fellow servant? God forgives us when we plead with him, when we say, Lord, we're sorry. But in the Our Father, what do we pray? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. We need to be willing to forgive others their sins. And so, you know, just as in the Old Testament, those who are faithful to the Lord do not exempt themselves from asking for mercy, but they ask for mercy for themselves, for themselves and their whole nation. We have to forgive, and we can't exempt ourselves. And we can't say, oh, Lord, wipe out all the bad guys. Guess what? We're part of the bad guys. You know, no one is righteous before God. All of us are sinners. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and that's the good news. The enemy will always tempt us to think that, oh, your sins are so bad that, you know, you can't be forgiven, all these horrible things you've done. You know, no, let God love you. Let the love of God and the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph, your patron saints, your guardian angel, let that love, because all of that love that they have for you is God's love. They share in God's love and life. And so they want to bring to you the love of God. But we have to forgive. And granted, someone might do something really horrible to us. And if they do something really horrible, it can be really hard to forgive. I just finished reading a book. I recommend it to everyone as great Lenten reading. It is called The Doctor of the Heart. It is the autobiography of Dr. Conrad Bars, B-A-A-R-S. And the book talks about his internment in Birkenwald concentration camp during World War II. We need to forgive. This book shows you what happens if we don't forgive. You want to call in? 888-526-2151. I hear that music. We're going to take a break here. We'll be back in just a minute. Thank you for listening and 
keep us all in prayer. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%! Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, thank you, Matthew, for inviting everyone to call in. And again, if you want to make a donation, that number is 877-526-2151. Terry is still out ill. uh, He went to the doctor Friday. The doctor initially diagnosed what he had as pneumonia, so... um, it's been a month now he's been sick. So please do keep Terry in your prayer. We count on your prayers. Thank you, all of you who do support us financially and, and spiritually. Uh, we count on that. We can't do this without your help. This is definitely listener-supported radio. We're just wanting to bring the truth and the joy, the joy of the gospel to everyone. And that's you know the great gift that God has given us. So thank you again for listening and for being here with us. I do want to mention that... Um, I hope I'm back in the saddle. <laughs> I hope I'm not doing what my husband did that is feeling a little better. And so I'm up up and running again and I get sick again. <laughs> so, But I do plan on doing the Bible study tonight. So for all of those who you who come to the Bible study, please uh, spread the word. I'm, I'm coming back. And also sp- spread the word. It, it, let your friends and family know about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Get them to listen 
online on YouTube, on our website. If they have a smartphone, uh, download the apps. And I just want to remind people, um, we're going to try and get into Mark 12 today and, and go through that. But I want to remind people of something. Um, and again, I, I want to mention, I read Conrad Bars's um, autobiography and, and about forgiveness. And Conrad Bars was um, from Holland. He was a student. And because Hitler was going to conscript all the students into his army, uh, young Conrad had to flee Holland. He went to France. He worked with the French underground. Eventually, he was picked up by the Germans. And he spent the last 19 months of the war in Birkenwald concentration camp. Because he had had medical training, that's what he had been studying to be, was a doctor, he was sent to the hospital at the concentration camp to work, which um, probably saved his life and kept him alive. But it's beautiful. His, you've got to read his autobiography because he, he really makes it clear what happens when we don't forgive. I mean, the evil that he lived in the midst of, and yet he was able at the end to recognize and realize we need God and we need to forgive, and we need to have God in our life at every moment of every day. Now, we get app listener questions, and I know I don't always get to answer them. I try and answer everybody. If you've written in a question and you haven't gotten an answer, please just resend your question. I do miss them sometimes. Um, and somebody recently was asking us about um, Jesus Christ and can we trust the Gospels. And, and again, I want to reiterate, we have the Catholic Church's authority Jesus Christ set up his church as the authority. There's only one church that goes back to the apostles. It's the Roman Catholic Church. Now, the Eastern Orthodox, were you know, they broke from the Roman Catholic Church. They don't have, but they do still have apostolic succession. So they do have the sacraments. So, but the idea is, remember that without an authority, the Gospels, not only the Gospels, but all of Scripture can be confusing. There are things in Scripture that are not straightforward. And if you go back and read the Fathers of the Church, they make this very clear. We need an authority. And even the Scriptures themselves say we need an authority to be able to understand. But there's a great book by Brant Petrie. It's called The Case for Jesus. I don't know if you can see this very well or read the title because it's so light. But it explains there are lots of scholars out there who like to say things like, well, you know, we can't really know who the Jesus of history was because, well, you know, the gospel writers were kind of making up stories. And I want to remind you, the church, our Holy Mother, who has the authority, that's the Pope and the bishops in union with him, have told us time and time again that the church unhesitatingly affirms the historicity of the Gospels. The Gospels aren't made up fantasy stories, none of them, okay? They're real events that really occurred while Jesus was living and teaching among men. Now, they may not be all organized in the same manner. The fathers of the church said that, you know, different Gospel writers organized the events in different, event, different ways. And again, Jesus' public life was three years long, so it may be that different events Similar events occurred at different places. And so it looks like um, one person is putting an event in a different place because it's a similar event. And that, you know, I can't verify all that. I, nobody was there with a recorder. But we do know that what's written in the Gospels is what Jesus really did and taught while living among men. Yes, for the sake of their salvation. And there was nothing that he did in his humanity that wasn't for the sake of our salvation. That the church makes clear, okay? So the Gospels are reliable, 
they tell us the truth about Jesus Christ, who he was and what he did. And if you want to know the Jesus of history, read the Gospels. Remember the secret source that all four of the Gospel writers used? It's the life of Jesus Christ. That's the source that was used by all of them. They all were telling you the life of Jesus Christ. And John's gospel is so different, and the fathers of the church made this evident. John was aware of Matthew, Mark, Luke by the time he wrote his gospel down. He was already aware of, and he didn't want to repeat unnecessarily anything that was already in there. And at the end of his gospels, he says, if everything that was written that Jesus did and taught, if we tried to write everything down, I don't think the world could contain the books that it would take. And, and guess what? For 2,000 years, we've been trying to explain everything Jesus did and taught while he lived among men, and they're still writing books about it. So John was right, wasn't he? And so, yeah, everything, but John is telling things that the other gospel writers didn't tell, not because they didn't happen, not because John isn't historical, but because John wanted to include things that hadn't already been told, but that were absolutely vital. And the fact that we don't hear as strongly in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus Christ is God, the way we hear it in the gospel of John. Well, John made it strong because it wasn't as strong in the others. But nonetheless, to any Jewish audience, first century Jewish audience reading this, and that's what Brant Petrie is bringing out in his book, The Case for Jesus, it becomes very evident that any first century Jewish audience remember the accusation they bring when they bring Jesus before Pilate. He must die because he claimed to be the son of God. By the way, making himself God's equal. He was claiming to be God. They got it. Boy, did they get it. And because of it, they rejected him. So I want to make that very clear, and I want people to understand. Yes, we can trust the Gospels, okay? And we know the historical Jesus from the Gospels, and he is the same as the Christ of faith. And if we don't know the Gospels, if we don't know the scriptures, all of scripture, by the way, Old Testament and New Testament speaks of Christ because it's all, the Old Testament is foretelling him. The Old Testament is the foretelling. The New Testament is the fulfillment. We all, without the Old, the New Testament doesn't make any sense. But without the New, the Old Testament is, it's incomplete. The two of them aren't separate. You can't separate, separate the two. They go together. So what do we have here in, in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark? And I think that's where we are, but that's where we're picking up. So <laughs> we begin um, the parable of the wicked talents. And Jesus has this parable of the man who planted a vineyard. And if you want to know where he's getting this from, it's from the, the, the um, prophet Isaiah, chapter 5, 1 through 7. Read that beautiful, beautiful passage about the vineyard. And he, so the man plants a vineyard, he gets it all ready, and then he rents it out to tenant farmers. But when he sends his servants to collect his share, now remember, this doesn't belong to the tenant farmers. They're renting the land from him. They're supposed to give him rent. So when the crop comes in, okay, now it's time to collect my share of the crop. They refuse. And so he sends his servants. They beat one. They kill another. They stone a third. And he sends more servants, and they do the same thing. So then what does he say? I'll send my son. Surely they will respect my son. Well, <clears throat> they don't respect the son, and they kill him. And Jesus um, says to them, he says, well, what do you think the owner of the vineyard's going to do? And he says that the people respond, 
he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. And then Jesus says, have you not read the scriptures? The very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they tried to arrest him, but feared the multitude, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. So the scribes and the Pharisees, it's real clear. Jesus is claiming to be the son of the one who planted the vineyard. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about Israel. He's talking about Father God in heaven who took Israel to be his own. And then when Israel had, ser- had the servants of the Father, the prophets come to them and try and preach the word of God to them, what was their response? They stoned one, they beat another, they killed another, and on and on how they treated the prophets and rejected them, the true prophets, the people who told them the truth. And finally, the father says, I'll send my son. The son. He's claiming to be the son of the owner of the vineyard. It's real clear to them. And they're like, you know, but they're afraid of the people because the people look up to Jesus. They see the truth. And they not only see the truth, they see the authority with which he speaks. Unlike our scribes, he speaks with authority. He heals in his own name. He cures in his own name. He drives out demons in his own name. He teaches in his own name. He's not saying Moses taught. He's saying, I say to you. And it's, oh, whoa, wait a minute. And so they want to destroy him, but they're afraid because the people are listening. The people are getting it. And they're, they're following him. They see a hope that they haven't seen before. And so the scribes and the Pharisees are rejecting the Lord. And it's very clear he's just claimed to be the son of the Father. That is God the Father in heaven. And if you don't think the Old Testament refers to God as a father, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Yeah. God was their father. So then the Pharisees send a question. They, the Pharisees, along with the Herodians, come to entrap Jesus in his speech. And it's interesting. The Pharisees and the Herodians were not good friends. The Herodians were the people of Herod's party. They wanted Herod to be the ruler over the Jews. Now, the Pharisees didn't really like Herod. He was a puppet of Rome. And they saw that not only that, he wasn't a Jew. He was an Idumean, so he wasn't fully Jewish. So it was like, he shouldn't be ruling over us, one. And second of all, he's just a puppet of Rome. So the Pharisees didn't really like him. But the Pharisees don't like Jesus either. So what happens? Funny thing how enemies get together when they find a common enemy. And they've decided that Jesus is their common enemy. So they get together, and they're going to trap him in his speech. Ah, Ask him if we should pay the taxes because now we can get the people to reject him because he'll say, if he says we have to pay the taxes and the people will reject him. But if he says, oh, don't pay the taxes, then we can go get Herod. Ah, Caesar, he said not to, he's he's preaching rebellion against Rome. You know, it's like, we have got this guy. There's no way out of this. We have got him in a dilemma. He can't win this one. We're going to get him. Duplicity, right? They're real honest, right? It's interesting in debate how oftentimes people don't fully present the opposite side of the argument. I hear that music again. Any questions, call 888-526-2151. 
Please give us a donation if you're able, 877-526-2151. Most of all, please keep us in prayer. Pray for my husband's health, that it continues to improve. And we'll be back in just a few minutes to talk a little more about this 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Well, thank you, Jesse. Thank you very much, Jesse, for welcoming us back. Welcome back here. We're talking about the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, and we're talking about this paying tribute to Caesar. And, of course, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, who are normally enemies, have come together to try and trap Jesus in his speech. And what is Jesus' answer to them? He says, let me see one of your coins. Whose inscription is on that and whose face? Caesar's. Oh, oh, it's Caesar's. So the coin belongs to Caesar. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Give to God what is God's. Yeah, the money, that belongs to Caesar. Give it back to him. But your heart, you, you came from God. You were made by God. You were made for God. Give yourself to God. Fully, completely. So render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but render unto God what is God's. 
Remember, the Blessed Mother at Fatima asked us to do the duties of our state in life. And our first duty as Christians is to become a saint. And that means to live fully for the Lord and to live in union with him. Being a saint just means living in union with the Lord, fidelity to the duties of your state in life. But remember that first duty is to the Lord. We must love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, and soul above everything else. The Lord is first. That doesn't mean we ignore our family. That doesn't mean we don't take care of the needs of the people around us. Remember, Jesus says in, in, in the letter to John, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write, don't tell me you love the neighbor whom you see. Excuse me. Don't tell me you love the God whom you do not see when you don't love the neighbor whom you see. And this is something that Dr. Bars found out in the Birkenwald concentration camp. You know, it's real easy to say I love my neighbor when everything's going well. It's real tough when you're in dire situation to love your, your neighbor or to love your enemy. And yet this is what we're called to do. We're called to love, to love the Lord God first and to love our neighbor as ourself. And Jesus took it one step higher to love our neighbor the way Jesus did. And that is that while we were yet enemies, Jesus Christ died for our sins. He didn't wait till we were his friends. He died for us when we were still his enemies. So we need to love our enemies too. But it begins at home. And we have to do our duty. So our first, we need to pray every day and ask the Lord to help us to live in greater union with him. Render to the Lord what is the Lord's. I belong to the Lord. He bought and paid for me at a price, the price of the precious blood of his son. We are loved. We are precious and dear to God. We are beautiful and good, made in God's image as persons to be loved. Don't ever forget it. Don't let anyone take it away from you. There is hope. There is hope in the darkest hour. The darkest hour is just before the dawn, and it's really true. So then, another trap. Now the Pharisees and the Herodians go away, and the Sadducees come up to him. And of course, the Sadducees are, <laughs> they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and they don't believe in angels. So even you know, within the Jewish, you know, even though the, 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 the scriptures, Old Testament, talk about the resurrection, and they talk about angels, the Sadducees don't accept those part of scriptures. So there wasn't full agreement, even among the Jews, about the canon of Scripture. That wasn't, it didn't happen. And the Sadducees are saying, okay, so Moses says that if a man dies without, if he's married, a married man dies without leaving a child, his brother needs to marry that woman and raise up a child to that. Well, has this ever happened in history? Yeah, well, you have Judah's son. He had three sons. His oldest son married a woman, but the Scripture says that his oldest son was unrighteous, so God killed him. The woman was Tamar. So the man dies. So his second brother, Onan, has to marry her because he's supposed to raise up children. But Onan doesn't want to raise up children to his brother, his dead brother. So he spills his seed and God strikes him dead. And so then Judah's youngest son is supposed to marry her. Well, by this point, Judah's thinking, uh, this lady's got a problem. So when his youngest son gets of age and he's supposed to marry Tamar to his youngest son, he tries to skip town. Well, Tamar gets wind of it, and she dresses up like a prostitute, and she tricks Judah into having relations with her. And then she gets pregnant. And by the way, this is the Messianic line is carried through this. Tamar is one of those women who appear in the genealogy of Jesus. So yeah, there's, there's a case of three, three sons were supposed to, but it ended up being two sons married her, and then she had incest with her father-in-law and 
twins were born and, and the messianic line is carried on. Was there ever an instance of a family having seven sons? Well, in the book of Maccabees, there was a mother who watched all seven of her sons die for the faith on one day. Um, do we ever have an instance of a woman being married seven times? Well, in the book of Tobit, you have poor Sarah. Uh, she'd get married, or her father would marry her off, and then an uh, evil demon would come along, and he'd kill her husband on his wedding night. So it wasn't until Tobit came that she got married, and that all ended up happily. So you have to read the book of Tobit. But um, but they're proposing this, and it's like, okay, so this woman was married to seven men, all brothers. None of them leave any children. So whose wife is she in the afterlife, in the resurrection of the dead? And of course, they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus says to them, what? Is not this why you are wrong, that you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry or are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised... Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God said he, he, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are quite wrong. So Jesus, in no uncertain terms, tell them, you don't understand the word of God. Yes, there is a resurrection of the dead, but in heaven there will be no marriage or given in marriage. In heaven, marriage is for this earth. It's for the propagation of, of children, to propagate the, the, the human species, and it's also for individuals in marriage by the sincere gift of self to one another to learn selfless love and to grow in holiness and to help the spouse grow in holiness. So union and procreation go together, and it's supposed to be that complete holding back nothing gift of self to another that is exclusive and permanent. This is where the church gets its teaching on marriage. Marriage should be exclusive, permanent, and complete. Hold back nothing, and it should be fruitful. Why? Because in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit completely, permanently, exclusively give themselves to each other for all eternity, holding back nothing pouring out themselves to each other in a continuous communion of love and life. And yes, this is what the church teaches, that the first family was the Trinity, and that all families on earth and in heaven take their name from the Trinity because we're supposed to image God. So in marriage on earth, we image God, and in heaven, we will live like the angels. There is no marriage or giving in marriage. We do have our bodies. But God will be all in all, and he fulfills all of our needs. So there is a resurrection of the dead. Jesus makes that very clear, and he tells the Sadducees that they don't understand. They don't understand the scriptures. And then they go on, the greatest commandment of all. Now, having listened to this, there's a scribe in the group, and he's listening, and he's like, hmm, maybe I need to learn a little more from this man. He really seems to know a lot deeper than the superficial teachings of the leaders and even of what I've studied, maybe. And he comes up and he says, what is the first commandment? And Jesus answers, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. If 
by the way, when he's saying the Lord is one, he's referring to the fact that there aren't a multiplicity of gods. Remember in the Old Testament, all the pagan peoples worshiped a multiplicity of gods. So in the Old Testament, God is fathering his family. He has to be very insistent on the fact that he is one. He is one. There's only one Godhead. The Trinity won't be introduced until we're introduced to the Son. We can't know there's a Father until we know that he has a Son. But that'll have to come, and that's what Jesus has come to do. So we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And then Jesus says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. There is no other than he. And to love him with all our heart, with all our understanding, with all our strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared ask him any questions. What's interesting is the insight of this answer. The Jews thought that it was their burnt offering and sacrifices that were so important to God. And what does this scribe say? He says, no. He says, to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. What does it say in Hebrews? Sacrifice or oblation you sought not, but ears open to obedience you gave me. Holocausts and sin offerings you did not delight in. And then I said, behold, I come to do your will. When we love someone, we want to do what pleases them. That's why we need to make sure that we're loving someone who is godly. We want to do what pleases God. Love God first, and we will do what pleases him. Love God first, and then we can practice the virtues Blessed Marmion taught us. It's not do the virtues, do the virtues, do the virtues. Make the sacrifices, make the sacrifices, make the sacrifice, and then you'll love God. Learn to love the Lord your God. Invite his love into your heart. Let his love envelop you and enfold you and enrich you and fill you. And then we can practice the virtues. And so this is what this scribe recognizes. It's love first. Love comes first. And when we love, truly love, then God will inspire us what he wants us to do. He'll inspire us what sacrifices to make, how to live our life in union with him. And then we'll have a sure guide. And I hear that music again. That music just comes up so fast. We have a, a open line, 888-526-2151, if you have any questions or comments. If you can make a donation, please call 877-526-2151. Please keep us in your prayers. I do have Bible study tonight at 7 o'clock at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Please, God, that's my intention. So see you there. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. 
And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%! Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you again, Matthew, for that reintroduction. And yes, today is March 26th. This is a live show. Uh, Terry is still out sick. Please pray for him. His health is getting better, but it's a slow go. We want to get him well before we have another relapse. So we're talking here about the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And the scribes and the Pharisees have come, and they've set several traps for Jesus, and you know he doesn't fall into any of them. Um, of course, he is the Word of God. He's God's wisdom in flesh. And uh, so he knows the duplicity of their hearts, and he's also you know, beyond being trapped. So now Jesus has some words to say. In verse 35 here, he says, um, How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, declares, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I put your enemies under thy feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? Now, the people hear this gladly. The scribes and the Pharisees aren't too happy. But what has Jesus done here? A couple of things. Number one, he's saying that David, when he wrote the Psalms, was being inspired by the Holy Spirit. Aha, Jesus is attesting to the Holy Spirit being the primary author of Scripture. Okay? But he's also saying, David says, the Lord said to my Lord, this is Psalm 110 that Jesus is quoting. You can read the whole Psalm. And the reality is, it's like, well, you know, the, the Messiah is supposed to be the son of David, God had promised David that, that an heir would, 
that God would put an heir on his throne, that David's throne would last forever. So this was God's promise. But, but in what sense can he be David's son? Because David calls him Lord. Oh, my. And, and of course, we couldn't know that unless God himself had revealed it. That, yes, he is David's son, according to the flesh, because he's born of David's line, but he has no earthly father. His father is God. And so the Messiah, yes, is the son of David, born of the Virgin Mary. So he's of David's line. But his father is God in heaven. So that this, the second person of the Blessed Trinity became man. And, of course, this is, you know, that God actually became man. Hey, the pagans had all kinds of stories about gods appearing in the form of men, you know, and creating demigods that were running around but never that a God became man. And in addition to that, not only became man, would die. Would die for the sins of his people, would be so identified with his people that he would take on the guilt of his people and die for them. So, yes, Jesus is the Lord of David because he is the the God of David. But he's also the son of David because he's born of the Virgin Mary. He has no earthly father. The son of God really became man. And there's no way that we can give Mary honor that is too great. Catholics don't worship the Blessed Virgin Mary. We follow Jesus. Jesus kept the Ten Commandments. The Fourth Commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. Bestow glory upon. And even in the Old Testament, it says, I will praise these godly men, my ancestors. And in the midst of the assembly, I will sing their praises. We Catholics don't worship Mary. It's not about that. That's not what it's about. But we acknowledge that God chose Mary to be the instrument to bring his son into this world. He must have looked a lot like her. He took all of his human DNA from his mother. So then Jesus goes on, and and he's teaching, he censures the scribes. He says, beware of the scribes who like to go about in long robes and have salutations in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor at feasts who, de- who devours widows, who devour widows' houses for a pretense and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive a greater condemnation. Is he saying that there aren't authorities and that we shouldn't respect authority? No. He's warning the people. The scribes are only trying to get attention for themselves. They're trying to make themselves the center of attention. And they're actually stealing. They're devouring the houses of widows. They're making long prayers for a pretense sake, to look good. You know, like the man who, the, the story of the publican and the tax collector go up to the, the temple, and the publican stands in front, oh, Lord, I'm so great, and thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, and I'm not like a sinner like this guy in the back of the temple here, you know? I'm so good, I fast, I do this, I do that, I oh, I'm so wonderful, Lord, oh, Lord, it's so hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, right? And the publican standing at the back, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. No, we don't raise ourselves up. It's not about drawing attention to ourselves. The attention is on God. We want people to fall in love with God and to draw closer to Jesus Christ. But remember, it's not just me and Jesus. God is always a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
God is God and we are not. And God is a community of love and life. Only the second person of the Blessed Trinity became man. Only the second person of the Blessed Trinity took on a human nature, and in that human nature, he experienced death to the point where not only did he die on the cross, but when the body of Jesus of Nazareth was buried in the tomb, the second person of the Blessed Trinity remained united to that body and to the soul, the human soul, as they were separated in death. He really experienced death from a human perspective. He really died. It wasn't a show, as some of the early heretics said. And, and, and remember, you know, there were lots of heresies in the early church. You know, early on in the church, you had heretics who didn't accept this or that or the other thing about Jesus Christ. And, you know, some of them said, oh, you know, it's, it, you know, there's secret knowledge that, you know, only certain people can know. And the church said, no, that's not true. Or, oh, Jesus didn't really suffer. It was just a big show. You know, the Son of God, yeah, he united himself for a while to human nature, but then when he was on the cross, uh, they, you know, God took, took a hike, you know? No, that's not true. All of those things, and the church addressed all those heresies, and they all came up. There were lots of them. Go back and read the fathers of the church. History is on our side, you know? The Protestant churches didn't come into existence until the 1500s when they rebelled against the authority of Rome. And I'm not saying there weren't, Problems in the church, just like there, aren't, there are problems in the church today. There have always been problems. You always have your Judas priest. Jesus lost one out of 12. That's, that's 8% of his bishops. And then at the time of Arius, it was a lot more than 8%. You know, nine, maybe 75 to 90% of the bishops of the Catholic Church at the time of Arius became Arian heretics. And many of them might have done that out of fear for their life. But the reality is there's always these trials in the church, and the church has come through these trials before. There's always going to be trials. But Jesus is there, and it's not about us. It's not about drawing attention to ourselves and, oh, look, at I've got all this secret knowledge, and God has revealed this to me. No, follow the church. Stay in union with the church. Read what the church has written to us about Scripture and trust the Scriptures because the church has told us that the scriptures are inspired by God and that the Holy Spirit is the primary author of scripture. And then we have, you know, and again, don't, we're not here to exonerate ourselves or make ourselves the center of attention. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were setting themselves above other people and they really were, you know, in the Gospel of John, it becomes real clear. The Pharisees had no high opinion of the local people, you know, the ordinary people. They really looked down on them. It was really sad. Not all of them. There were good men among the Pharisees. There were a holy men in the temple, Simeon and others, Nicodemus, um, Joseph of Arimathea, and then you have, you know, of course, um, Gamaliel, who was a teacher of Paul. And Gamaliel, you know, this is, comes up in the Acts of the Apostles when he warns the, the, the Sanhedrin, you better be careful how you deal with these men because if what they're doing is of God, you're going to end up fighting God. So he's not rejecting them out of hand. Okay, so there were good holy men. And there were many of the leaders who became Christian after the resurrection, but there were many who didn't. And then you have the beautiful story of the widow's might. Jesus is sitting opposite the temple treasury. And all these people, oh, they're putting in big, you know, huh, you know, don't you love it? You know, you got a wad of $100 bills and you can just throw it into the, throw it into the collection plate. You know, be generous, you know. And this little woman comes and she puts in two small copper coins. Hey, it's worth about a penny, right? 
But Jesus said, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who contributed to the treasury, for they all contributed out of their abundance. She, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, her whole living. How generous are we with God? Do we give him everything or do we hold back? Are we only giving out of our abundance? God has given us everything. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Are we willing to give back to him? Are we willing to give until it hurts? When we give to the poor, are we just giving the excess? We really need to dig deep and give. Give from the depths of our being. But first and foremost, give of ourselves to others. Give in service. Give in humility. Give up our own ideas so that we don't always have to win the argument. You know, maybe we won a lot of arguments and lost a lot of converts because we attacked people when we were arguing and we, we needed to be right and we needed to, but I know the truth and it, don't use the truth as a bludgeon to beat people up. God invites us into his love. Be generous with God. Everything we have is a gift. Everything has come from him. We should give everything back. and We should ask him every day, Lord, how do you want me to serve you today? And remember, first of all, it's within the family. If you're married and have a husband and children or a wife and children, that's your first realm of, of service. Serve them first. Don't neglect them. Serve them first. But then include others. Share with the poor. Serve the sick and the poor. Be involved in the pro-life movement. Pray for your political leaders. Make sacrifices. Pray for your priests. Have masses offered for your parish priests. Have masses offered for the Holy Father and our bishops. Have masses offered for the conversion of sinners. Have masses offered for ourselves. Be generous in our giving because God is generous with us. We have to be so careful that we don't be stingy. Ask God every day for the gift of generosity. Remember to ask God for faith, more faith every day. More hope every day, more charity every day. Lord, perfect your love within us. Perfect us in charity. We're coming to the end of this hour here. I can't believe it's been an hour. It's been great to be with you. I look forward to seeing you next week. Anybody who can come to the Bible study tonight, please, God, I will be there. It's my plan. I hope so. If nothing happens between now and then. We'll have Bible study at 7 p.m. If you can donate, 877-526-2151. Thank you, all of those of you who donate, all of those of you who support us with your prayers. Again, if you have questions, you can write in on the app and, and ask questions. If you've asked a question and it hasn't been answered, write it again and send it in again. I do miss some questions now and then, you know. Hey, God is good. He loves you. Full sheen ahead. Live in the state of grace. Go to confession. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. 
for thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.